This is episode 57 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is the co-founder of Carica Labs, Doug Newman. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. I'm actually on location for this episode. Really awesome here with a good friend, Doug Newman, who I'll introduce in just a minute. Um, but uh, excited for you guys to be along on this one. I want to give a quick shout out before we jump into it. Um, I'm actually wearing the Be Awesome shirt. Um, you guys uh, probably listened to Josh Peach on episode 48, and... Anyways, Josh was so kind. I went up to a uh, the Next Gen Summit conference this past weekend, and Josh was kind to send a couple of shirts my way um, and a couple of mugs as well for for be awesome. So um, I just really love the movement that he's doing. If you guys want to check him out, um, beawesome.com. It's b e a u s m dot com. Um, like I said, he's doing some really cool stuff, and he's got his own podcast. Go check out and listen to. But thankful for Josh's friendship as well as uh, some of the swag he sent over. So. Um, all right, let's transition into the episode today. I got Doug sitting right in front of me, smiling as hey, ever. Yep. And uh, so we'll jump into a little about Doug, but you know his story is really cool. Where you know he's really what this podcast is about. Where you know it's someone that worked a very fulfilling job, enjoyed it. You know he has a development background, and then decided to make a switch. And we're going to talk about that switch a little bit. Decided to go out on his own, take a chance on himself. Um, create a product that he think is a need in the marketplace, and and he's going ahead and doing it. Um, so I think it's really incredible. It's a testament to the just get started community that it doesn't matter what age you are, or what idea you have, or whatever, uh, you can go out and accomplish it yourself. So with that, let's turn it over. Doug, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me over at your house, man. This is nice. <laughs> Not a problem. And cheers. And we're just for everyone that's listening. We're uh, we're. Doug is a master home brewer. Can I'm I say that? Not sure if I'd say master, but well, let's we'll, we'll we'll say it. I like to make some beer. Um, so we have a what is this? Can you describe to the group what we're uh, what we're drinking here? This is a citrus saison. Uh, I call it no dank because if you know saisons, they have some sort of a a funkiness to them, and I was trying to minimize it with this one, so. Uh, I needed to brew a beer my dad would drink, and uh, he's pretty much a pale ale kind of guy, so. That was the the attempt at making a pale ale out of a saison yeast. It's good. It actually tastes really good. So uh, are you are you tapping that more? Are you gonna have more of that, or is it almost done? What no, no, I it? just tapped it just the tapped other day. It. Okay, so perfect. it's uh, it's all I've got in the kegerator right now. So perfect. it's it's probably gonna get more attention than it deserves. There you go. I'll be coming over and have uh, seconds and thirds. So. All right. Well, so let's jump into your journey a little bit. And, and as many of the, the listeners know, I like to take a step back because really, you know, what you're doing today is incredible. We're going to talk about that and some of the things you've learned. Um, but let's take a step back. You know, I'm curious, you know, the, the word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot and, you know, some good connotations, some bad. And the reality is I think you can be an entrepreneur even if you work a full-time job. I, I think it's just oh, yeah. more of the mindset. So take me back to kind of childhood growing up. You know, you obviously got into development. 
right? You're you're a you know you're an engineer by trade, right? A, yep. From that that side of things. So talk me around that. Did you ever have any inclination, like when you were younger, that you wanted to do your own thing? You want to run your own business, or were you always kind of go to college, get a job, and work up the ranks? Yeah, I I never thought about it as a kid. So it's funny how um, I think I was just extremely. Uh, focused on following the lead that my parents had followed and that their parents before them had followed. And uh, I just saw the corporate path as the path. Yeah. And uh, so I, I thought I got to get good grades in high school, go to a good college, get out of college, get married, get a good job, work, you know, for the man. Um, and that the best thing that could ever happen to you is you become the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and you get to fly around on a corporate jet. So, that's what you learned growing up? That's, that that, I wouldn't say that. That's what I learned, but that was sort of the model I had in my head. Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot of model, too. I think it's a lot of kids, that same thing. It's like go to college, get a good job, yep. work your way up the ranks. And, and there's just a different way to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I was at that, this Next Gen Summit this weekend, and it's just inspiring. I mean, these kids, I met these kids. I'm not I'm not shitting you. These three siblings, the, the sister wasn't there. They're eight, like eight and nine or nine and ten. And they've already written six books. They have a self-publishing company. And it's just inspiring that, listen, you don't have to go the normal path oh, yeah. anymore. There's a lot of opportunity. So anyways, that was a tangent. Um, we're going to get into some of your entrepreneurial tendencies here. But so you decided you went to college. So you went to Davidson, right? Yep. The second most well-known person that went to Davidson <laughs> behind Steph Curry. Yeah, Steph Curry, yep. That's right. <laughs> Who hopefully will be better known after a couple more games. We'll see. We'll yeah. See. They got a tight they got a tight race here. It's not the, looking good. In the but, finals now. Yeah. But um so you went to Davidson and so you got what was your background? Was it computer science? What would you major in? Yeah, so Davidson's a liberal arts college. Um, so they don't have any kind of engineering program there. Uh, but they do have an engineering program where you attend Davidson for three years and then you go to an engineering school for two years. So I studied physics at Davidson um, and then after three years transitioned to Washington University in St. Louis and studied computer science at their engineering school there. Yeah. And then so... That was your your goal was hey I'm gonna get into a company and I'm gonna start coding I'm gonna yeah. develop and stuff that was the idea. Yeah, you know, I, I fell in love with computers as a kid. I, I don't have one of those. I had a VIC twenty Commodore sixty four. Uh, I was hacking around. Um, I had a like an Apple an Apple two GS computer. It looked like uh, the same things that they had. Well, when I was a kid, they had them in the in the schools. Um, and it wasn't quite the low-level engineer experience that all of my colleagues seem to have stories about. But, um, but I just enjoyed building stuff on it. And I've always enjoyed making things. And the computer was just extremely approachable um, from a, a means to, to make something. Uh, and so I, I just always thought I'd want to do something with computers. Now, so you went to this small computer company, I think, what was it called? Microsoft? Was that yeah. it? <laughs> that was, right. yeah. Right. So uh, why did you just, how did you get into Microsoft? Because obviously, well, you know, yeah. pretty big company back in the day when you started there. So I, when I got out of college, I took a job with a decent sized software company in Houston, Texas called BMC Software. And I uh, worked there for about two years and I had some friends, um, this was 1999. Some friends who had started a company up in Boston, and they were looking to hire some more software developers. And uh, so they enticed me to sell my house, pack up my wife, and uh, move up to Boston and go do um, a startup in the first dot-com boom. And I did that for about three years um, and just kind of got to the point where I felt like I was hacking 
not building great stuff because I wasn't in an environment where I was going to learn from great engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was working 90 hour weeks and uh, it wasn't the lifestyle that, that my wife and I wanted. So uh, at that point we decided to make the transition back to North Carolina where we'd met in college at Davidson. And um, I had a friend who happened to know that Microsoft was starting an office here. So I got to, uh, you know, go big company, startup, big company uh, in Microsoft. And then uh, I'll let you lead the rest of the conversation. Well, no, that's good. because we're, we're, So I want to get back into that because kind of going back to the startup. So, again, really telling the story where, again, you, you were fine, right? You you did well for yourself, yeah. right? Obviously, we're in a very nice house here you live in, and um, and you got two great kids, and you know, so life's good, right? You, yeah. you went and you transitioned to bandwidth, yep, um, and worked there for several years. Obviously, a, a rapidly growing company that just IPO'd a couple years ago, so everything was going good. Talk me through. I, I really want to hear the first thought, the inkling of when did you say, gosh, you know what? I really want to do my own thing. When did that yeah. idea, that inception in your head start? So it was probably about 2010. I was working at Microsoft. I'd been there for seven years at the time. Um, and frankly, I was just kind of bored. Uh, part of it was that they had a small office here in North Carolina. And uh, all the product that I was going to work on was the same product I'd been working on. So there wasn't really an opportunity to go and do much different than what had been there. Um, but I I always kind of had the desire to go, since I'd, I'd left the startup, and I remembered what that experience was like, being so close to the metal, being so close to not just the the code I was writing on a daily basis, but how the business was doing and being involved in the sales process and and going out and drinking with the operations team. And uh, I just felt like I missed that connection with the real business because I was in a big company and I was somewhat siloed in what I was doing. And so the startup thing was always kind of my thought of how I go get a broader experience. Um, And I also kind of always kind of wanted to take a bet on myself and see if I could do it. And uh, it's really, it's about having the experience, the life experience. I may crash and burn at this. So be it. I, I'm having a great experience. I'm learning a ton. I'll have uh, hopefully set a great example for my children on uh, different you know, ways that they can choose to live their careers out that maybe they haven't thought about before. Uh, and hopefully in my golden years, I'll have great stories to tell about, about the life I've lived. Well, and, and it, again, it goes back to like, that is, you only have one life. Mm-hmm. And that's the, what I try to get across on this, that what all the different people I talk with is like, you know, I, I was talking about the Next Gen Summit and Jesse Itzler, who's the co-owner of the, uh, the Atlanta Hawks. He wrote Living with a Seal. He had David Goggins come live with him um, for 30 days. He's done a lot of great stuff, but he had this passionate talk and he kind of used this visual Everyone else can't see, but Doug can see like my hands. Like it's like, hey, you're on. There's a bus. That's what life is. The bus never stops. It just keeps moving and moving. You get on, you get off. Things happen. Eventually, he's like, that bus stops. Mm-hmm. You don't know when it's gonna stop, but it stops. So yeah. why just be settle? Why be pissed off every day if you're not happy with your job? Why do all that? So I, I'm so appreciative. Obviously, be your friend, but that the fact that you took a gamble on yourself and and said, listen, I'm gonna try this. Um, let's talk about some fun stuff though. If you can remember, okay. so 2010, 
you said was the first idea. Do you remember one or two of your ideas that you're like, oh, maybe oh, I'll yeah. do this? And yeah, you know, I've had a lot of dumb ideas. Give me, give me, give me one or two of them. They might not be dumb. Give me one or two ideas. So you know, it's funny. My wife was really big into couponing back in. Uh, we we had, uh, she was a stay at home mom back then. We were always just trying to manage the budget as best we could. And so she would, we'd get the newspaper, not because we read the news, but because on Sundays she wanted to get all the coupons. And, and she could literally go load a shopping cart with $120 worth of groceries and walk out for $30. Um, and uh, so, but it's a painful process to go through and find these things and match it up with specials and understand how it's all going to work. And so... Back in 2010, I was going to build a platform for people who wanted to save money on their groceries. And it was really going to be a marketing platform for people who are selling grocery products and wanted to target them to certain people. Well, was, the whole idea was build your shopping list. We'll help you mar- marry it up and, and get as much bang for your buck as you can. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. I look back at that and I'm like, that's the dumbest thing. I have absolutely no interest in that problem any longer. But back then, it was it was really enticing to me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, though, because we all have, you know, I think a lot of those people have 50 ideas a day of just yeah. things. And it just, you know, it's just the, which ones, which the ones that you hear over and over again that look similar. And that's the one you kind of go at because that's the one you end up being passionate yep. about. Because I think you have to be. So, um, okay. So, let's talk about your company. Okay. So, you got into that, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, actually, tell you what. Let me take a step back. Yeah. Because you're married. you got a great wife. Um, talk about the... Con- I want to I hear... <laughs> I want to hear that the conversation when you said to her, hey, I'm going to quit my job and start a company. <laughs> talk me through that, that self-talk there well, the f- and then the conversation. Yeah. The first time was back in 2010. Okay. And uh, we were on a cruise um, to Bermuda. And uh, it's a long way between Baltimore and Bermuda. And so you spend a lot of time at sea. And I just dropped the bomb on her uh, on the cruise. When talk about killing like your romantic getaway with your wife, you know? <laughs> like suddenly, my wife, Beth, is a wonderful person, but she's not much of a risk taker. She likes to know. Everything fits in the box appropriately. Um, and so the idea that I might not have a steady income, and back then she didn't have employment of her own because she was staying at home, uh, that that was kind of scary for her. So I didn't end up doing it back then, not because of her objections. I just, uh, actually, honestly, she and the kids went away for a week, and I took a couple days off work and said, I'm going to work on this business idea. And I sat there. I just miss them for the whole time. I didn't get anything done. Uh, and I realized at the end of that, I, I don't think that I can just go off and I'm not ready to go off and do this by myself. So I parked it and um, whatnot. But then uh, I guess it was probably about 18 months ago, we went out to dinner, uh, you know, another, another date night <laughs> bomb dropping. And I, I told her that um, I really wanted to try my hand at this. Um, and we'd saved, we've always been pretty aggressive savers. So, um, I felt like financially we could afford for me to go and take a year, maybe two years and, um, see if I could make something uh, of this. And I had a a new idea at the time. Um, and, uh, so we, 
you know, spent some time exploring that as a couple and it wasn't uh, comfortable for her. I would say even to this day, it's, uh, it's still stress inducing that that the money only goes out of the bank account that doesn't come in. Uh, but she's been really supportive of it. She's, it took her some time to come around to it, but, but she's been great about it. And that's, yeah, that's, I think the support system is really important, right? Because if you don't have that, like if she was against it altogether, that's, whether you still go forward yeah. or not with it, you know, there's there's obviously some well, struggle. And it comes in phases. I mean, I, I, the the first part, I said initially she was against it. And then we got to the point where, and I, I said to her, I feel like I have your permission, but I don't have your support. And she's like, yeah, that's where I am with this, is that um, you can go and do this. I'm not excited about it. Uh, these days I have her support. And um, I think part of it is just she needs to needed to experience it before she knew what it was going to be like. And thus far it hasn't been terrible um and uh so now that she's comfortable with it it's it's okay yeah that's really good so talk through your idea because one of the things you know we talked about a, a ton is that you know you start off with one idea and then you've pivoted mm-hmm. to another idea which i think is phenomenal because um, i think pivoting you have to do sometimes because i think most people actually it was interesting um kim Kopp, that many people know um a lot of people follow her online I saw something actually on LinkedIn today randomly that she was talking about. Like, I think she, I think she was responding to one of Gary Vaynerchuk's posts or something like that, and she wrote a nice thing about just like, yeah, you have to know, you know, it's okay to know when to pivot. Like, yeah. just go ahead and do it um, instead of keeping with some idea for five years and it's just yeah. a dud. Yeah. So talk about leaving bandwidth, and because I, this is one of the things that again I'm passionate about is I don't expect everyone to leave their job. They mm-hmm. may do a side hustle, right? Um, but talk about leaving and saying, hey, I'm actually going to leave the company and I'm going to start a business. Like, I'm not going to do it on the side. I'm yeah. actually going to do it. Can you? I'd really love to hear the self-talk. Like, yeah. what went through your head leading up to that? Because, again, you had worked for 20 years in companies, getting a paycheck every day. Yeah. So I um, I went to a conference. Bandwidth uh, was one of the sponsors of a conference in Raleigh, the Center for Entrepreneurial Development hosts. It's called Tech Venture, and they it's really about bringing – venture capitalists and startups in North Carolina together so that they can network and hopefully find, you know, mutual interest. Um, and they had a, some speakers there. And one of the speakers was uh, the guy that had founded Lending Tree. Um, and he talked through a bunch of principles of entrepreneurship, but there was one principle that really stood out to me. And it was this, this principle of affordable loss. And it's whether it's entrepreneurship or some other opportunity where you have to take a risk, um, it really comes down to how much can I afford to lose by taking this risk and then being comfortable with with that amount of risk. And so um, this was right. This was you know right about the time I was having the conversation with Beth about um, me going and doing this. Uh, but I really just had to ask myself, like, how long can I afford to, to front our lifestyle out of my bank account uh, before I have to go get a real paycheck again? And it, it came down to about two years is how much runway I had. And so once I kind of internalized that principle, then it, it just it didn't hurt. It didn't feel bad to, to think about walking away. And so I could have done a side hustle, but I've got a family. I've got other interests. Uh, I had the ability financially to go and do it full time. And I just decided I would, I would go ahead and do that. 
Well, and I think, too, you know, that's one of the things, that, and I think a lot of people that risk is like, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot, is if you had no, if you lost everything, where would you where, where would you be? Would you be okay with that? Mm-hmm. And it's really as long as you have your family, right? Yeah. Who cares if you have zero dollars? Because you get a job and you start building yeah. up again. But at least you can say, you know, it's the whole thing of like, I don't want to sit when I'm 90 years old in the wheelchair and be like, shit. I wish I, I had. I wish I had done yep. it. No, I can't I, do it I now. totally so agree. So I think you're in the same boat there. Yep. Um, so talk about, so obviously, you know, you have a co-founder. Yep. So had that been something you guys had talked about and meshed on for a couple of years? Like, how did you find yeah. your co-founder? Talk, talk through that process. So, I think a lot of folks are, you may look for a co-founder. I knew Shaw since uh, my early Microsoft days. He worked for a, a company that was a partner of ours. And um, he would come to our office to uh, work on integrating their software with the software we were building. And so I got to know him through that. And then eventually we acquired the company that he worked for. And at that point, he moved from Illinois down to North Carolina, and um, we worked directly together. Um, We worked together for about two years, I'd say, and then I went to Bandwidth. And when I interviewed at Bandwidth, I actually interviewed for two jobs, one of which I wasn't qualified for, but I was like, I know the person who is. So uh, Shaw transitioned over to Bandwidth um, about the same time I did. and then when he wanted to leave bandwidth, I helped connect him with a different startup that a friend of mine was founding. Um, and so we sort of have this joke that I, I facilitate career transitions for Shaw. The most recent one was him you know, teaming up with me to do this, which that was just a year and a half ago. We got together and uh, had a beer and I said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing the startup thing. Would you be interested in doing it with me? And it was immediate. He just, Yes. Uh, and he's a fantastic partner. I'm so lucky to have him, um, and it's just really worked out well. So you guys start off. Your idea was kind of on the support center side, right, with companies and, and what have so you. So right? it was a it was a something we built at Bandwidth. So Bandwidth uh, is a company that builds telecommunications as a platform. So the ability to make and receive phone calls, text messages. Um, and APIs that allow you to integrate that with applications. And one of the things that uh, we had done at Bandwidth was we built a tool for managing our on-call system. So their systems are running 24-7. If there are problems, there are people sitting in a network operations center who can triage those problems, but they oftentimes can't fix the problems. They need to know who to escalate to. And so we had an on-call rotation that um, engineers that I worked with would be responsible for signing up to uh, work a week at a time, and they'd get that call in the middle of the night. And if they didn't pick up the phone, uh, we needed to be able to call their backup and then call their manager. And so we, we built an application that just automated this. It had a calendar. There was one phone number for each team. You call that phone number, it would look at the calendar and figure out that George is on call, so it would call George. If George didn't answer, it would say Jenny's is backup, and it would call her and then go up to their management. It was just... Uh, automate this and we always kind of said you know this this just should exist in the world um and uh so it was always kind of in the back of my mind that that uh it's a great idea I'd, I'd be interested in building this if i ever did the startup thing and i think also i care a lot about the impact that being on call has on engineers it's a crappy experience and there's a lot of stuff that i felt could be done to improve that, at least give you the flexibility that maybe you're on call this week, but you've got something to do in your free time uh, or after hours. Uh, you need somebody else to pick up just four hours of on call for you. How do you 
ask your team to cover for you. And then during that period, call routes to somebody else. And then you keep a, a ledger of the fact that somebody else helped you out. You're now in debt to the team four hours. And when, when another person needs help, you can pay your debt by helping them out. And uh, so we thought we had some really cool ideas around this. Um, and we quit our jobs and started building it and um, had a lot of conversations with people, but realized in hindsight we were having the wrong conversations with people. And uh, that took about six months for us to figure out. So you transitioned, obviously, because you're building a different product yes, now. Uh-huh. Who came up with the that idea the, that you're doing now with... Uh... Well, um, so... Sean and I did this workshop that um, is for startups. Uh, it's a four-week kind of product market fit uh, workshop. And it was through that process that we realized that the product that I had fallen in love with and thought was going to be a great thing was uh, just not that interesting to the people who have to deal with it. Um, and uh, so four-week workshop, we kind of realized at the end of week one that we were working on the wrong thing. And that put us on this adventure of let's figure out what the next thing is. And uh, so we spent some time just kind of talking to friends and saying, well, tell us about what you're working on and tell us about the pain associated with what you're working on. Just listening to see if we could find uh, a problem. And uh, despite the fact that we were told that's the way you find the right problem, it was very fruitless for us. Um, and I think part of it was we felt under pressure that um, we only had so much time to burn here. Uh, so we started to go back to our own experiences and, and um, think about problems that we had had in recent jobs and how we'd solve them. And Shah hit on the one that we're doing, uh, which is geo-redundancy as a service. Um, so effectively, how do I take a software application and uh, have a geo-redundant disaster recovery plan um, for it so that if there is any kind of disaster in the geography where I'm running that application, uh, I can quickly move to another geography and fail over my business to that application. And it was something that Shaw had built uh, at the startup he'd been at before. They had some um, compliance requirements that they had disaster recovery solutions in place. Um, and when we started talking about it, we realized, gosh, we can, we can make this pretty close to turnkey uh, for a certain class of applications, um, that's you know I think a meaningful class of applications. And you're and so you're building this on for AWS. Yeah, right? it's for AWS. So if people who are running Amazon Web Services workloads in an AWS region and need to fail over to another region, we can uh, I refer to it as just airlift the application over to another region and and get it running again. Yeah. So I'm going to take a pit stop and just some something I wrote down here, just curiosity on my end, because I'm not a developer. <laughs> you, I mean, I know technology a decent amount but in the, in the general terms, but uh, I don't know development at all. So if someone's starting a business today, and let's say it is a software business, yep. what would be two or three, maybe it's more, keys of things they should look out for early on from a software development side of the house? whether it's setting up servers, anything, what would be your maybe tips or things that you would share with them? So at least leads them down the right path. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, the first thing I'd say is to focus on the product, not on the software. Um, and so that's, that's everything that we failed to do in understanding, uh, whether there's a real need 
and um, whether the thing that you're envisioning building is actually uh, going to find a, a fit in the market. So, um, yeah, that was my big lesson through all this is uh, that the conversations I was having were about how people do their on-call practice today, not whether they were unhappy with their on-call practice today. Um, but, you know, once you figure out the product, I think you're asking more about technically, like how sure. do you go yep. and, and um, build the right thing? Um, I, you know, personally believe you need a technical leader on your team in order to make those decisions. Whether you're going to outsource your product development, I know many people who have done that, um, or uh, try to build your own team yourself. I think I think having a technical co-founder is a huge component to uh, being able to to do that the right way and understand whether the investments you're making are the right investments. You know, outsourcing gets a pretty bad name uh, in the technical world, but I've had some really good experiences working with contract offshore software engineers. Uh, you just have to be willing to make the investment to make it really successful. Um, so I I think a lot of people would say that you know you need to build your own product, not outsource building your product. I don't think of outsourcing building your product as outsourcing building your product. I think it's it, if it's done well, uh, you're intimately involved on an extremely tight basis with the people who are actually writing the code. And um, uh, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Yeah. Have you guys thought of, so obviously you're bootstrapping this, right? You yep. said, hey, here's my runway. Have you guys thought about getting any seed funding, venture capital, anything of that nature? Has that, has that had come up in conversations so at I, all? I know we're going to have to. Um, uh, I can't bootstrap this forever. And um, the types of companies that are going to use this product and make it really successful product uh, aren't going to buy it from a small bootstrapped software company working out of their homes. Um, but right now, we don't need the money yet. Uh, I, would, I don't know what I would spend the money on if I had it. We're still... Um, uh, we, we can't scale out building the product at this point. And we... Um, are close to launching the MVP, but until we do that, it's it's hard to scale out. Think about scaling out the business side of it as well. Yeah. But uh, my hope is that we can get a few wins under our belt and use those to um, entice some some venture capital um, and hopefully grow from there. So I would expect uh, sometime this fall, maybe over the winter, um, I need to actually start getting really serious about raising money. So, and, and you mentioned just for those listening that aren't kind of in the dev space, you mentioned MVP, minimal viable product, yep. right? It's kind of, hey, the, the, I don't want to say beta version, but hey, get it out there. Yeah. Something that could be, it's, you know, test the product concept. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately for what we're building, it's a very technical product. A lot of times you hear these examples of what an MVP looks like. And um, uh, it's very manual. Um, the, the, you know, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain who's actually doing everything because we haven't actually built uh, systems that can do this. Um, the nature of our product requires an extreme level of automation, and um, we just felt we had to go and write a lot of code to be able to showcase and prove that we could solve this problem the way we're solving it. And um, so we've spent a lot of time uh, building that MVP as opposed to uh, Lean Startup would tell you that you've got to put it together much faster than we have. So you're going to launch this fall. That's a Hopefully plan. this plan. summer. This, yeah, oh, this yeah. summer. Hopefully this, this summer. Into, okay, and, this summer. Um, 
I'm giving you a little extra room. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I probably need it. So talk. I, so obviously different than you and I, right? Is you're the technical mind. Mm-hmm. So talk me through the business side. What's been the biggest struggle for you? The biggest learning curve on the business sales. We were talking about coming up with a name a while back. Oh, yeah, branding is huge. You know, so like how did you – tell me about what you've learned in this journey about that side that really was not your expertise. Uh, Yeah, so we're we're just getting to the meaningful part of that journey. Uh, So I think most of the lessons are still in front of me on that. Um, What I will say is that there is a lot of – I would say it's just internal – anti-inertia around a lot of the business components and i have to actually tell myself there's no reason i can't go out and sell a product there's no reason i can't you know cold call people and um and have a good meaningful conversation with them um and there's no reason i have to be upset if they choose to hang up on me and um all that stuff i just i don't have experience with rejection like you do Uh, and i mean that in the best possible way but um, (laughs) i appreciate that but, you could have uh, took a couple shots. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, but I, uh, I, I think there's, you know, just some internal stuff I, I get to learn through in the next couple months that uh, I'm excited about doing. I love having technical conversations with people. And if I can get in a room with people and explain to them, like, what we've built and help them understand um, how maybe it solves problems that they have today and how it's going to integrate with the solutions that they've already got in place... Um, I think I can do a fantastic job of those things. My thing is, how do you know, I get in the room with those people in the first place? And that's the thing I'm going to have to learn a whole lot about in the next couple of months. Yeah, Nick, you know, it's funny that um, I just launched a one mic um, uh, session on that. And, uh, you know, it's something that came up again at this next gen event where a lot of these conversations I was having, it's a lot of startup founders that are technical in nature or they're young. I mean, there's mm-hmm. kids that were just out of high school, they're in college. They don't know the first thing about sales and getting in the room, as you're saying. No offense, mm-hmm. but so that's something I think there is an opportunity out there to to kind of teach and help those folks. And obviously, I'm here for you when oh, when you thanks. when you yeah, need some that. when <laughs> you need some insight. But so so let's talk about that. What I mean, what is the vision for what What are you guys thinking the the next yeah. six months, year? Like, what's your hope um, for the product and, and the market out there? Well, I've got I've got some friends who have told me that they will run my product for me on their environment um, uh, when we launch it, and so uh, I'll, we'll definitely be leveraging that for a lot of learnings and figuring out what is and isn't working there. Hopefully, we'll be able to leverage that for some testimonials that we can use to prove that um, the product has worked before and it will continue to work for new people. But I think a lot of it is just getting into the right marketplaces and getting the right brand awareness um, among the people who are solving these problems. And luckily, I feel like because we are focused on Amazon Web Services and um, there are like existing marketplaces for those, I feel like uh, I know where to go. At least I know where to start. and I need to get into the AWS marketplace, and I need to go and and find communities of uh, consultants, uh, professional services organizations that do work with AWS. And I need to go target companies that have disaster recovery requirements, and that's probably because they have compliance concerns. So they might be healthcare, they might be financial, they might be government, um, but those kinds of companies that uh, that we can go and, and market this towards. 
Um, and so I, I feel like uh, I'm not totally rudderless on how to bring it to market, um, but there there's a lot of unknown work in actually penetrating those different channels, and um, that's the piece that uh, is probably going to be the long pull. What have you learned? You know, I'm always curious around, you know, I'm big on, you know, I don't know if you know Ray Dalio, you know, his book Principles and you know, it talks a lot about patterns, right? And, and what you learn in your life. So obviously you were at some startups when you were younger. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from those experiences, maybe positive or negative, yeah. that have helped shape how you guys have ran this company so far? Uh, well, gosh. Um, I think I've always been at startups that were, I would characterize them as, as sales-driven Um Whereas being the engineer within the sales-driven organization, um, oftentimes you feel like your work is not disrespected, but perhaps not invested in at the level that you'd like it to be. And there's, uh, I think engineers always would like to spend more time making their stuff better than it actually is. Um, I think I've also learned, though, that those sales-driven organizations, they get it. Like it, it, um, they're, they're successful. Uh, and the startup I did back in the early two thousands, uh, was successful post the dot com crash, having worked at bandwidth when it was, uh, not small, but not, not big, but in writing for, you know, seven years, the, the journey to when they, um, went public and, and whatnot, um, Sales-driven organizations are really customer-focused, and they um, they don't build a bunch of stuff that they don't have to. Um, and that's that's a lesson that, as an engineer, I think it, it took me a while to to accept and embrace. Um, and I hope that it's a lesson that I'm applying successfully with what we're doing here. That said, I also am pretty proud of what we've built technically. Um, I think, considering it's a really small team building this product. Uh, we've written a lot of code, but um, but we've written some pretty solid code thus far. And, um, so I like to think we're striking a healthy balance. What's been? Have you thought of quitting? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I I uh, I say, oh, gosh, this money that I'm like you know investing in this, I could do a lot of things with that money. Um, and uh, I don't know if this is going to be successful. I have 50-50 that, that a year from now um, I am trending towards uh, a successful you know, uh, continuation of the journey. A year from now I'll be hitting that two-year mark and I'll have to be making the decision about whether or not we're going to keep going. Um, but uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's common that I, that I stop and say I, I could go and... Uh, I could take this money and invest it in my homebrew setup, you know, uh, and I could go get a, a real job while the economy is really strong and who knows what's going to look like, uh, 12 months from now. Um, but I, I don't want to cheat myself. You know, I, I've got to see this through to the end. Um, and if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be really comfortable with that. But if I, if I quit on it, I'm not going to be cool with that. Well, that's the thing. At least you can't, again, you're not going to have that regret. And and that's good. I mean, what kind of, is there any self-talk, anything you do to, like I said, when you have those moments of, I don't know if I'm not good at vocabulary, despair maybe, is that a word? <laughs> you, you, but like those moments of weakness, how, how do you get over that? What do you, what do you do? What's the self-talk like 
Do you meditate at all? Like, tell me a little bit about. No, what... I wish I were a deep person that meditated and, and thought about that kind of stuff. Honestly, I am just extremely optimistic person. Yeah. So when I when I have those thoughts, they're very short lived. Um, and honestly, I can. Uh, there's enough work to do that uh, I can always just go back to let's take another step, um, and as long as I go get focused on on productive work as opposed to self-doubt work um then that that solves it for me so i think i'm lucky from that perspective i um i'm generally a pretty happy optimistic person and uh self-doubt happens but it doesn't endure for me so folks listening whether i don't know where they're at in their journey right whether they're not haven't started yet or they're just on their way or what have you what if there's a piece of advice that you would share if there's a quote you live by something yeah. that you know you would say is you know maybe it's your north star that you kind of you know yeah. look toward is there anything you would share um to folks that are listening yeah i mean that? i think um it comes back to that optimism thing um but i believe that in this world we get to decide whether we're going to be happy or not and you take any situation that you're in there's two sides of that situation and you can choose the woe is me pessimistic perspective on it or you can choose to look at it from the perspective of this is a this is a great experience this is you know something i'll be able to tell people about in the future that person that just cut me off in traffic are they a jerk or actually maybe they're just a really great person but they're kind of flighty driving um I think you have an opportunity in life to to choose happiness, and that's what I would tell people to do. That's great words, man. You know, my glass is empty here yeah, with the Saison. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. <laughs> um, well, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to come back and do a one-mic session on home brewery. Okay, we yeah, can we'll, do that. We'll talk through the it's home probably brewery. probably better than the, the startup session. Uh, well, I don't know. We'll take, we'll, we'll take a hold and see what likes. <laughs> Doug, man, I appreciate you sharing this story. You've always been a good friend. I appreciate the optimism. I think that's why we get along so well. So uh, thanks for having me at your house. And yeah. uh, thanks for sharing your story with everyone. Thanks for coming. Thanks for putting me among some great guests on your podcast. I'm uh, honored to be included on it. Awesome, man. Well, everyone, I appreciate you guys listening in. Um, I'll put everything in the show notes and, and link up to some things. And as I always ask... If you've enjoyed this episode or others, um, head over to iTunes, leave me a review, give me a rating. Um, I certainly appreciate it. Just have a ton of gratitude for you guys listening on this thing and and providing that feedback. So I hope you you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.